bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. Welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres, and post it here for your ears to enjoy. Craig, what are we doing this month? Um, we're going to talk about Studio Ghibli movies, and I would like to refute the claim that we're here for the ear's enjoyment. The ear does very little of the heavy lifting, I feel like, in the grand scheme of things. Like, it's mostly brain work. Is, is po- Podcasting is mostly brain work. How well did that land? I... Ugh. I don't know because now you've now you've shaken me with insecurity about whether or not my jokes aren't landing because of a faulty Discord connection or if I'm just not funny tonight, okay? And so we're approaching this episode with an energy that I don't know if it's sustainable or not. So we're just going to have to buckle in and hope for the best. Don't make fun of my word choices, Gregory. I'm not... Oh, just because I talk smart for four seconds? That's because, I heaven forbid, I have a good vocabulary for once. Yeah, hello. You're the talker, I'm the brains, okay? Let's go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we're talking about Studio Ghibli movies. We are watching Spirited Away, Castle in the Sky, Kiki's Delivery Service, and My Neighbor Totoro. If you are unfamiliar with Studio Ghibli as a production company. It is a Japanese animation studio that is largely responsible for bringing anime, just kind of in general, to audiences in the West. Um, Before Studio Ghibli, the kind of anime that Western audiences had access to was usually... Some combination of poor quality, not necessarily family-friendly, or incredibly inaccessible. Like, before the 90s, late 80s, anime was kind of that stuff that a shady friend would give to you in a, on a flash drive or a, you know, some old cassette tape in a parking lot and just be like, <laughs> trust me that this is anime. And, um... Studio Ghibli made, like, anime mainstream, helped make anime mainstream for Western audiences. Um, It also introduced just animation in general to uh, various generations of children. So that's why these movies are kind of important and why they're so well-beloved. Because they broke into the industry for a new audience and they did it in an incredibly... in an incredibly cool manner. The movies that they make are incredibly unique, family-friendly, for the most part, and um, interesting and accessible. So, um, did I miss anything? I, I, I think you covered all your bases there. Okay, cool. Um, let's get started then with Spirited Away. It also should be noted that the Studio Ghibli movies that we're watching are all Hayao Miyazaki movies. Um, some of them... There are some Ghibli movies, more recent Ghibli movies, that are um, directed by, like, a family member of his, uh, Goro Miyazaki, and those movies are not as critically well-received, um, so that's a big yikes, um, but the ones that we're watching are Ohio Miyazaki movies, and he writes and directs all of his movies, um, so whenever people talk about Miyazaki... That's who they're talking about, is the writer and director, the basically the big dude at Studio Ghibli. Um, so, getting into Spirited Away, 
This is an interesting one to start with because I don't love this one. <laughs> this one's so cute, it's though. A, it, it's kind of a controversial stance of mine. Um, I like it, but I don't love it. So a quick synopsis for Spirited Away is um, this little girl and her parents are moving to a new town. They're moving to a new house. And along the way, they stop at this tourist attraction and they kind of cross a few lines they shouldn't. And one thing leads to another and her parents get kidnapped and this girl is left all alone and she has to rescue her parents. Now, the place that they stumble upon is not actually a tourist place for humans. It is a tourist spot for spirits. And it's this hotel, this bathhouse. Um, there's like a little market square. And there's all these cool spirits that reside here. And so now there's this one human girl who has to survive, work, find, and save her parents in this spirit world. Um, and that's the basic synopsis of Spirited Away. Um now, like all Ghibli movies, I think this is actually the most modern Ghibli movie that we're watching. Everything else was an 80s Ghibli movie. This is like a late 90s Ghibli movie. Um, so 2001. It ha it's, it's the most technologically advanced in terms of animation. Um, and it's gorgeous. It's a really pretty movie. Um, so I've been talking for a lot. What's up, Bug? <laughs> um, I just thought that it was interesting when watching this movie that the child was the one with the most sense because you know her parents they are on their way to their new house because they're moving and they you know make a wrong turn or who knows and come upon this tunnel in the road and decide to walk down it even when their kid is like hey that's sketchy i don't trust this they're like no don't be a coward don't be if you want to be a coward you can go sit in the car but we're going like guys get the get the f out gtfo my family is also like that in a way where like it, they'll just explore for a little bit. I'm very destination oriented. So when I'm like, okay, we're going to a new house. Let's go to the new house. And they'll be like, all right, let's frolic in this field. Let's go down this intense cave system. Let's try to go through this park. I'm like, guys, no, but highway, please back to highway. This is not highway. <laughs> um, so I understand that mindset of just like wanting your parents to get back into the car that was so you know it's surprisingly more relatable but also in that same sense like how the parents were just like cool with eating strange food yeah like the the reason why the parents get kidnapped is because they eat food that is intended for the spirits and so obviously since they can't see the spirits they just see food on a counter and they're like, that's ours. And like, ask no questions. So I kind of understand where the spirits are coming from in the sense of like, hey, that wasn't cool. Like they even acknowledge on the way in, there's a bunch of broken shrines. That's like, hey, this place is probably some sort of holy ground. Maybe we don't mess with it. There are so many stories in all culture's folklore about not eating food that is not given to you and 
it's like number one rule. If it's not given to you, don't just think that it's yours. And the mom is even like, oh, we should have brought our food for a picnic. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you should have. Your own food. They deserve to be Uh, turned into pigs. (laughs) We're going incredibly hard on these parents. It is kind of inconsequential what ends up happening to the parents. Like, they're just a stepping stone to get our lead character into the hotel, the bathhouse for the spirits. Um, So, what's the name of the dude? Haku. Haku. Um, And so, Haku becomes, like, her human mentor, like, her spirit guide, almost. Uh, And... We don't understand why for a while. He's just kind of like, it's dangerous. You'll die here. Let me help you. Which, you know, I guess is a noble enough reason to help someone, I guess. But he gives off that, like, inner turmoil. Like, he gives off big I-can-fix-him vibes. <laughs> um, and, like, a huge, like, sacrificial soldier kind of way. Uh, and in that way... It's a little annoying when he's, like, all secretive and vague. And he's like, I can't tell you everything. And I'm like, I bet you could if you tried. I bet you could try a little harder. I bet you could drop some more hints to this literal child. And he has, like, a severe case of amnesia. He doesn't remember his own name. And so I understand that maybe he doesn't think he has the ability to. He could try a little harder. Um... But once uh, Chihiro, who is our main character, once she gets into the bathhouse and, like, starts working as an employee, that's when I feel like this movie gets good. Um, When I first watched this movie, I thought the first half of the movie was cool. The second half of the movie was boring. This time around, I felt the opposite. Because I kind of knew what I was getting into. So I was like, all right, let's ditch the setup. Let's get to the good part. Let's get to the bathhouse. Um, So there's a lot of like, I don't want to say like faffing about, but like there's a lot of world building in this movie. And that's cool. This movie goes out of its way to make sure that you understand like the systems and how they work. But until she like starts working under Lynn in the bathhouse, I was just kind of like eyes glazed over, ready to ready for no face to show up. I have always liked the world building in this, so I just but I'm you know I like this movie in its entirety, <laughs> so I am biased. <laughs> but yeah, that's not a, not a, that's not bias. That's just an opinion. <laughs> I mean, I guess. um, But yeah, and I want to take a minute to give credit to just how beautiful all the animation is in this, as well as the soundtrack that they chose to go along with it. Uh, Yes. 10 out of 10. Yeah. And specifically, the coolest scene in this movie, and I think this is a testament to how Studio Ghibli kind of like outlines and frames their movies, where the coolest and most intense scene in this movie is when Chihiro is trying to give somebody a bath all by herself. Like, uh, this scene is about this, like, huge sludge monster that's, like, ten feet tall, huge, takes up an entire bathtub, and she has to get this spirit a bath all by herself. She is woefully underprepared to complete this task on her own and it's like a five minute sequence of her like 
getting the water token and swimming through sludge and making sure the bathwater is okay and then helping this spirit with its injuries. And at the end of the day, all she's doing is drawing a bath, but it's done with this incredible heroic score underneath it. This intense string piece that is like, it really showcases like the drama and the intensity of like how important it is that this bath is drawn right and like i said they just pair it up so well to like keep you super hooked in um the one part that i didn't really like about this movie is the giant baby yeah um (laughs) so the baby in this movie is voiced by tara strong who also voices timmy turner and tommy pickles from rugrats and listen tara strong does a great young child voice obviously that's her wheelhouse Mm -hmm. however big baby and very recognizable voice is an uncomfortable pairing once that baby got shrunk down, I was like, thank goodness. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the thing that I wrote about this movie was it is a beautiful movie that I hate looking at. Because all of the character designs, especially with like Yubaba, who is the witch that runs the bathhouse. Mm-hmm. And just like se- several spirit designs. No Face reaches this point too, where like... All these designs are super intricate and gorgeous and purposeful. And you feel the meaning behind each of these character designs. But I hate looking at them. Yeah. Yubaba is super hard to look at. Because, I mean, she has similar animation to the Witch of the Waste from Howl's Moving Castle. And she's hard to look at herself. It, it's a, She has a very stereotypical, like stout witch kind of vibe to her but like there's an extra aggressiveness about it that makes it because like she has what you would expect from that witch design of like you know that long nose and like big hair um but also like her eyes are super big and uh she has almost no physical body like her head is as big as her body and those ki- it, the proportions are really what like unsettles the whole thing. Well, it's um, like it's like you said, it's a beautiful movie, and she's just the absolute eyesore. And like the uh, you know, I feel the same way about the baby. And like when No Face gets like really big, that's mm-hmm. un- unsettling to look at. Um, I always felt like No Face didn't fully belong in this movie. Like as far as narrative structure goes no face is kind of just there like like no face contributes to the story right like when chihiro goes to the other witch no face comes along and becomes part of the negotiation but during like all the bathhouse stuff it really feels like he's just there that you know chihiro's doing all of her things and no face is just kind of in the background. Well, he was there to keep Yubaba busy because she was distracted and couldn't realize what was going on with Haku. And so then Chihiro was able to, you know, help Haku down to, you know, the fire pits. <laughs> and um, 
with the shrunken baby after her twin sister showed up. Yubaba's okay. twin sister. So that does make sense. That 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 does make sense. Um, I also want to give a shout out. Best character in the movie is Lynn. Lynn is great. Um, she Love deserves Lynn. all the support, and she because she, she's she very quickly becomes like an older sister to Chihiro, and I'm a big sucker for that dynamic of just kind of like, well, guess I'm taking care of you now. Um. And she's also voiced by Susan Egan, who is Meg from Hercules or Rose Quartz in Steven Universe, if if either of those are your fancy. Um, and I know, I just like her voice a lot. So that, that helped as well. Um, Good voice, bad opinions. Yeah, so I like the second half more on, you know, this is my second time watching it. I preferred the back half of this movie. Um, I find it really interesting how long this movie was willing to show us something before paying it off. So Haku is a river spirit and he can, you know, take the form of a dragon and there's a sequence in this movie where he comes back to the hotel, to the bathhouse, being chased by paper. And that's not a joke. He's just being chased by paper. Um, and he gets incredibly cut up and incredibly bloodied by this paper. And Chihiro saves him, but doesn't realize that a piece of paper stuck itself onto her back to continue the chase and wait for a vulnerable moment. It's like 10 minutes between piece of paper being set up to piece of paper paying off. And I was like, that's a cool narrative device. Cause we're you, the movie kind of lets us like let our guard down a little bit in the sense of like, if it was going to do something, it would have done something by now. And then it does something. Yeah. I also felt like it took a little too long for them to really explain, you know, the significance of Yab- Baba stealing their names and all that stuff. Yeah. So, so, and they, th- even when they did address it towards the end, it was like, okay, we're just going to briefly brush over this. Well, I, I think the bigger issue with that is the movie teases this relationship between Chihiro and Haku. And they keep bringing it up of like, I feel like I know you from somewhere. I feel like I know you from somewhere. And then when we do find out from where, it feels very lackluster because he's a river spirit and Chihiro was in this river one time and that's how they bonded. It's just that she didn't know she was bonding with a river spirit. And then when she meets the river spirit, he doesn't remember her. So it kind of felt like this. It's this movie's biggest um, instance of telling instead of showing. Yes. So we were just kind of told as an audience, here's what happened. We promise it's important. They're in love now. <laughs> Ta-da! Um, like I said, I enjoyed almost all of the bathhouse scenes. I think that's my favorite setting in this movie. I also think that, like, the systems that the bathhouse has in place are super cool. Like, doing the... Uh, water tokens I thought is a cool system and watching them kind of set all that up. The thing that I thought was weird about it was like, why would the foreman not give them a, a token if they were getting water for a customer's bath? Like, 
that's part of the business. I'm coming to you for a supply that I'm not using. I'm using it for someone else. But he didn't know like that it, it was for the customer at the time. I okay. He just thought they were using it to clean the bath as a way to uh, okay. shortcut it, which they were. But you know, <laughs> it is what okay. it is. Um. Yeah. So overall, this movie has like really cool world building. Um. A lot of the characters are really cool. Um, you meet this character pretty early on that's, like, in charge of heating the structure. He's this, like, eight-legged, I have to put a pause between these words, Spider-Man. <laughs> and he has these little, like, dust mites that run around for him. It's, it's They're very, sprites. It's a very cool dynamic that they have. And it's these little details that I think make this movie shine a lot of people say this is their favorite ghibli movie this is a lot of people's first ghibli movie um and while i don't think this is a bad movie to start with it's not my personal favorite but i still respect it a lot yeah i love the little soot sprites so much they're so cute i have socks that have them on it um this yes, also you do. as well as much as I've praised this, this definitely isn't my favorite either, but I do love it. Um, and I think, like I said, it's very beautiful. And, you know, the story, while there are parts of it that lack, it is pretty great. You know, it's engaging, at least for the majority of it, I think. Um, and the eight-legged Spider-Man looks like uh, <laughs> Dr. Robotnik from Sonic. <laughs> Oh, absolutely he does. Yeah, you know, those, like, steampunk goggles and uh, big bushy mustache. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I am going to give this movie... The number that I can't get out of my head is 6.5. Okay, okay. I'm going to give this one, I think, like, seven and a quarter. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, I think this movie changed the game in a lot of ways. And I respect that. It's just not super for me. Valid. Okay, now on to the one where I think it drags in the first half and then gets really great in the second half. It definitely does. So this is Castle in the Sky. Um, A quick breakdown for this movie is a girl falls from the sky. End of movie. No. Um, <laughs> so this girl named Sheeta falls from the sky. She has this amulet. And a small boy named Patsu stumbles upon her. She is being chased by pirates and the armed forces in order to get this necklace because it is the key to a floating city castle that allegedly holds a bunch of treasure and ancient technology. So it's these kids trying to get to this castle in the sky, the title of the movie, before the pirates and armed forces have the ability to. Um, things go wrong for them in a myriad of ways, but that's the that's the basic premise is we have we have ancient necklace, must find ancient city. Yeah, it's literally like, oh hey, hey kid, we're the government and we're gonna kidnap you and your friend and then torture him unless you help us find the lost sky city you're the princess of. Yes. Yeah. This movie drops you kind of in the middle of the story, right? Um, because normally when it comes to this, like, royalty, discovering that you're royalty type stories, 
Um, usually there's like an element of amnesia, um, something like that. But th- this is not the case. We This girl like knows her entire life. She just doesn't know her ancestry. So when we find out that she's the princess, we're kind of like... I mean, we kind of expected it. We weren't surprised. Like, oh no, you have this net, you have this necklace, and you don't super know where your family's from. I do know how to put two and two together. Where could this go? Um, what I like about this movie is, I understand why you think this movie drags in the first half, and I will agree to a certain point. But I think that this movie manages to keep up the action long enough to by the time the movie slows down, I'm kind of ready for it. Um, and so this movie kind of starts with like a 15 minute chase scene where when Patsu and Shida first kind of meet, they get chased by these pirates and then they get chased by the military. And what I really like about that chase sequence is how the community that Patsu is in, they're like, oh, Patsu's in trouble. Time to kill who's ever chasing Patsu. <laughs> like, no questions asked. These guys are on his side. And, like, they're like, oh, All Patsu's helping. All my homies love Patsu. Yeah. Patsu's helping a little girl. Makes sense. Let's make sure they don't catch him. And they, like, guys, they, like, destroy the city. They cause serious infrastructural damage. And the community's like, shouldn't have messed with Patsu. <laughs> Come for my boy Patsu. Um, and I find Patsu and Sheeta very likable right off the bat. Sheeta's easier to like because she's a little quieter and um, she's, you know, the main character. But Patsu is kind of a coin flip, you know. Whenever you have, like, a fate-assigned bodyguard, it's kind of a coin flip on whether or not these characters are going to work in chemistry the way that the writers intend them to but i really did like the dynamic between shida and patsu um because like i said she's like a little quieter and reserved and patsu is a little more bombastic um and that was um that was a cool dynamic wow craig are you saying that girls are only likable when they're shy and quiet Yep, that's exactly what i'm saying and i also think what this movie does that's cool is um the pirate characters have a very successful redemption arc over the course of this movie in a way that I was not expecting and expecting even less to be as successful as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I did enjoy that aspect of it because in the beginning I was like, do we really need pirates on top of the government already? Like, okay, here we go. And then as they got to know each other more, I was like, okay, I'm here for this. I like this. So what parts of this movie did you not necessarily like or find well, uh, I dragged just, down a little bit? Well, I felt that a lot of like, because, you know, a, there's a with movies where there's like a unknown identity. It There's a lot of like history talk and ancestry talk and, you know, information finding. And so I feel like I felt like there was this big build up with all the action in the beginning. And then it just like. Instead of, like, slowly, you know, giving us a break, it was just from, like, 60 to zero. And then it dragged (laughs) on before, you know, slowly working its way back up to 60. Yeah. Okay, for sure. Um, Because eventually, um, 
Patsu and Sheeta and the pirates do team up, but there is a section of time between them being chased and them teaming up where I agree, not as much happens. The the kids try to travel on their own and that's not very successful because they are children. Um, and so there is a bit of a section where it can be like, all right, let's just pair these guys up already. Let's let's figure it out. Exactly. But I will say a redeemer is our little gardener robot. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Ghibli movies are very good at making companion characters. And calling the gardener robot a companion character is a bit of a stretch. But, like, it has that same vibe. Um, when they do get to Laputa, Laputa, La- Laputa, Laputa, La- 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 when they get to the castle in the sky, um, they meet a singular robot because like I said, this is ancient technology. Almost all of the technology has become overgrown, unrepaired. And so all that's left is this one gardening robot. That's like, Hey, all I want to do is make sure that the bird eggs are fine. All I want to do is make sure that the flowers are maintained. And it's a very cool character because we had seen a robot like this previously um, back on the surface world. And it tried to kill everyone. So it was nice. It, it, it did a nice little juxtaposition of like, this is what you expect. You expect another fight. But no, I'm just here for the flowers. Yeah. I think the other robot was mad because he got kidnapped and was like, I just want to go home and water the flowers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, can you imagine if you woke up after, I don't know, decades and we're just like, I'm in a strange place. People are prodding me. I There are no flowers nearby. Lasers activated. All right, let's get it done. Literally. I will say that <laughs> this one also has... Something that gives it more points for redemption is the plot twist with Muska, who's this government agent who's, like, you know, been trying to catch Sheeta this entire time and was the one who threatened to torture and kill Pazu if Sheeta didn't give him the amulet. You find out that he is also of this city's bloodline. Yeah, because, like, in order to access all of the technology, you need to be of royal blood which he also is. And so that is a cool plot twist because we're like, well, why does he just want the amulet? He should also need Sheeta. Surprise, he doesn't need Sheeta. He just wants Sheeta because she knows how to use the amulet better than he does. Um, Yeah, and I definitely agree. I think that Muska is actually a very cool character in this. He's a good antagonist. Um, <laughs> The thing that I wrote down for this movie is that... um. I am genuinely taken back at um, how quickly and how often this movie is just going to shoot at kids. Yes. Like, the government rolls up. They're like, hey, that's who has the amulet. Shoot them. And it's like, but they're 12. Shoot them. And <laughs> Do it happens, not hold and like, back. They just get shot at like four different times in the movie. Like, sometimes they get shot while they're on the pirate ship. Whatever. Sometimes... But most of the time, they're just, like, on the ground, and they're just like, all right, use your gun and shoot them cold and dead. So great. They, they really love kids in this movie. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. I also wanted to bring something up about this movie where, like, I have a little bit of a history with this movie. <laughs> 
in the sense that my high school partner, uh, I had never seen a Ghibli movie in high school, uh, you know, up until high school. And they wanted to show me one. And so they started with Castle in the Sky. And I got, I am not kidding you, 10 minutes in before I fell asleep. I don't <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> and I want to say, when I was in high school, I was very, I was very sleepy. It was, uh, I took naps easy. So it's not this movie's fault that I took a nap. I don't think. I think they caught me on a bad night. Here's what I remember: is I remember girl falling from sky, and then I also remember them laying in a field, which I think is the very end of the movie. <laughs> You're like, I'm up, I'm up. It's the credits, but I'm up. I, I watched the whole thing, babe. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I've always felt bad that like this was supposed to be my first Ghibli movie and it wasn't because I just conked out for all of it and I've been meaning to go back to it. Um, and I'm glad that we've had this opportunity to, because I enjoyed this movie actually a lot. I think this movie gets brushed to the side a lot for a really stupid reason. And it's because G Studio Ghibli has another movie with Castle in the title, Howl's <laughs> Moving Castle. And I think when you think Howl's Moving Castle and Castle in the Sky, there's no way both of those movies survive the, the court of public opinion. And hey, guess what? They didn't. Um, people much prefer Howl's Moving Castle over Castle in the Sky. Um, and I'm not one of those people. I, pref I prefer this movie. I think this movie is really cool and it does a lot of cool character work. Um, and like you said, like the plot has some pretty solid beats to it that I appreciate. Yeah. If it weren't so slow in the parts that it drags, I feel like I would like it more. But I'd say that this definitely isn't one that you should show as somebody's first Ghibli movie. <laughs> sure. This is yes. like this is like the second one. <laughs> Understanding their general production style does help a little bit. Um cuz Ghibli movies have, you know, I don't want to say a formula cuz all of their movies are incredibly unique, but like they have certain like trademarks of storytelling mm -hmm. that help you make it through the movies that you otherwise wouldn't care so much about. Um, I also think that I, I've mentioned it a few times, um, but I really want to hone in on this aspect of like these pirates getting their character redemption arc because when they're in, they are the first antagonists introduced into the movie. Like when, Sheeta falls from the sky it is because of the pirates that she falls from the sky and you're like oh these are the bad guys and then when they decide to find Lupita together um they spend so much time together and all the pirates are like they think Sheeta's cool probably because she's the first girl that's not a mother to be on the ship but <laughs> Um, I really like the dynamic that the captain has with her crew. You know, she's called Mama and, uh, all, you know, all the crew, the pirates call her Mama. Um, and she talks to Sheeta a lot as kind of like a mentor character because she's like, I see myself in you. Mm -hmm. You know, you were the kind of person I was before I was a pirate. And I respect that a lot. So by the time they get to Lupita, they're like... They are definitely more concerned about Patsu and Sheeta than they are about finding the treasure. Now, they find the treasure anyway, but you know that, like, 
the kids were the priority and watching like what we thought were the antagonists shift into like these parental figures was really cool. And I feel like it was done a lot better than I've seen in other movies. Yeah, I can absolutely agree with that aspect of it. And I personally also really enjoyed the relationship between Sheeta and the captain. And I liked her little kind of, back and forth that banter that she had with Posse too and her just constantly being like call me captain and him refusing to do so yeah uh so i just think that this movie is like it's not super vibes like um you have to be interested in the story like you have to be interested in the characters i think um as far as Ghibli movies go, this is you know this is not the one where you have to pay the most attention, but you have to care about it as like as a genuine movie the most to get the most out of it. Because a lot of other Ghibli movies, if you don't like the story, you can kind of do what we do with Spirited Away, which is like appreciate it on a technical level, um, appreciate it you know from a production standpoint or it's just some just sometimes it's all about the vibes um this is not one of those movies you have you need to care about like the full product in order to like get the most out of this movie yeah so what are you writing this one i like this movie a lot um i'm glad i was able to come back to it i'm glad i was able to finish it this i'm gonna say is a 7.75 Okay, this is my 6.5. And I respect that. I respect that. Now, on to the movie that is the vibe. This is 100% vibes. Like, this is the movie that you could take away all of the plot and effectively be left with the same product. And I want to be so clear that that's not a knock. Because this is my favorite Ghibli movie. Same. By far. Uh, This is Kiki's Delivery Service. And I love this movie so much. Um, I've only... This is only my second time seeing it. But I knew before I watched this movie for the first time that, like, based on the stills and the gifts that I've seen of this movie, I was like, oh, I'm gonna... This movie's gonna be, like, my kind of movie. And hey, guess what? It was... 100%. This is my favorite Ghibli movie as well. It had been so long since I'd seen it last. And it's it's just the vibe. Like, that's the easiest way to describe it is it's the vibe. You could put it on on silent and it'd still be great to watch. (laughs) So this movie is about Kiki, who is a 13-year-old trainee witch. And as far as witch tradition in this universe, on their 13th birthday or after their 13th birthday, um, witches have to go on a year-long independent study trip, I guess is a good way to put it. It's like almost like a witch pilgrimage. And so this movie is about Kiki's witch training pilgrimage. So uh, a little bit after her 13th birthday, she takes her black cat Gigi and a broom and she goes to a city. She basically falls asleep on a train, wakes up, goes to the city that she ends up in. Um, And this movie is about like her training. It's not so much about her training and it's not like a Rocky movie, but um, she doesn't have 
a lot of witch skills. Like the best thing that she can do is fly on her broom. So she decides to start a delivery service. And this movie is about her like honing her flying skills while you, while running a delivery business in this city. Um, and there are characters that she meets along the way to like make this movie interesting and a movie. Um, but the gist of it is like, you know, it's small girl runs delivery business in a really pretty beachside town. Yeah, it you know, the children leave their homes for a year to go learn how to be a witch on their own and discover what their, you know, focus is. And like you said, it follows that part of the journey and her, you know, delivery service. But it also goes along with her finding her footing in this new town because there's a lot of people who are like, ooh, a witch. No, thank you. We're so much better than you. No, thank you. Get away from me. I'm scared of you. Like classic witch pushback. And I would I would say more than witch pushback. I also think they just don't like her because she's a little kid and she's trying to behave like an independent adult. And so she accidentally holds up traffic and this cop and this, you know, this street cop is like, hey, you can't do that. And she's like, but I need to do this. This is kind of what I do. And then the cop breaks out like, you know, an adult voice and is like, listen, you can't disrespect blah, 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 blah. And then she just runs away, which like mad respect. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's about her kind of, like I said, finding her footing and learning how to be independent on her own and learning the rules that she apparently wasn't taught before being sent away. <laughs> it's just very, it's a very wholesome movie and it made craig and i tear up within the first 10 minutes of it so you know that's how you know it was gonna be good yeah and so this movie is a coming of age movie right and there's just a moment at the beginning of the movie when kiki decides i need to leave tonight she kind of drops this on her family she was planning to go later but she's like no tonight's the perfect night i have to do it now and so like while she's saying her goodbyes like she's hugging her dad and her dad says like how did you grow up so fast and like that line just took me out uh i like was not expecting that and just like this moment of like wholesome parenting i'm like i can't do this i can't do this <laughs> it was a mixture of that and then that also cements in for you because before he says that she like asks him like will you pick me up one more time like you used to do when i was little and it cements like just how young she really is as she's you know about to leave her family and everything she knows for a whole year. Like, listen, Pokemon got us used to the fact of children leaving their parents at a pretty young age. But sometimes it's nice to be reminded that, like, hey, these are kids. You know, it's scary to do this. And, I th and you know, Kiki, when she leaves, I think she's written in a way that showcases that excitement and fear in tandem so well because she is excited to leave. But, you know, like you said, she's sad to leave her family. She's scared to be on her own, but she's excited for what this can mean. Um, and it's showcased very well in all of that. Um, Gigi is a scene stealer. Every time. Um, 
This goes back to the Ghibli knows how to write a companion character. Um, Gigi is voiced by Phil Hartman. And let me tell you, the best kind of uh, Ghibli characters are secondary characters that are voiced by comedians. Like, the best part of Howl's Moving Castle is Calcifer. Um, and the best part of Kiki's Delivery Service is Gigi. And hey, um, guess what? I didn't understand the naming convention of Kiki and Gigi until I typed it out to you yesterday. Um, when I typed it out, I was like, Kiki and Gigi, wait a minute. Those letters are next to each other in the alphabet. Okay, I get the naming convention uh-huh. now. Like, it really flew right over my head for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense eventually. Um, What I like a lot about this movie is... I am a sucker for the it takes a village trope. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. showcased a lot here Um, where Kiki is reliant on a lot of kindness from strangers. Like when she shows up, um, she bounces off of like three people until someone is finally like, hey, you can stay with us. Like, I have a spare room. Just, you know, help out every now and then. And then when she does, starts doing deliveries, um, she gets overpaid a lot. And she's like, I can't take this much. And they're like, you absolutely can. Do not worry about it. Um, And she meets characters that are like, let me show you how to bake. Let me help you get ready for this party. Let me, you know, help you out. Like, it's all a bunch of strangers being very kind to Kiki. And it's an element from this movie that I appreciate a lot. I love Osono so much, who is the woman who allows Kiki to stay in their extra apartment that they have. And her husband, you don't hear one word out of him the entire movie, but he's all actions instead of words. And the little things that he does for Kiki, like making her a little wreath that shows her flying and a little sign for her business all out of bread and showing her how to bake. And it was just so cute. It was like, I love a good found family moment. Yes, exactly. And um, I think maybe my favorite sequence from this movie is when um, Kiki gets invited to this party, right? And she ends up being late to the party. She ends up not being able to go. And she's flying through the rain to try to make it to this party on time. And because she's out in the rain for so long, she gets sick. And so now she's this disastrous combination of sick and um, sad and unmotivated and uh, feels incredibly down. And like watching Kiki in that like mindset and physical state is kind of heartbreaking in a way it's it's so simple but like watching her be that sad is like genuinely like it's emotionally draining seeing her like this um but like you said the the comfort that osono and her husband brings you know the way that they kind of tend to her and help her recover is a gentleness and kindness that is incredibly like inspiring and heartwarming and is kind of the backbone of this movie. Yeah, and Osono also encourages Kiki like out of her comfort zone, especially with Tombo and 
fostering that relationship because she can tell yes. that Tombo really likes her. Uh, Tombo has negative Riz. So, like, I do not blame Kiki for not liking him. But he's, you know, a boy about the same age that, like, every time they bump into each other on the street, he, like, puts his foot in his mouth, accidentally insults her, you know, not coming across as incredibly charming. Um, But like you said, Asano kind of encourages Kiki to be like, he's trying his best. I think you would like him if you gave him a chance. And so this party that she was supposed to go to was kind of supposed to be this like connection between her and Tombo. Um, And that's why she's so disappointed when it doesn't go through because she saw this as a social connection for other people her age, but also like specifically with Tombo. And when that falls through, you know, she just gets so disappointed. Like I've had moments like that personally. It was an incredibly relatable moment of like, I was hoping to get social satisfaction out of this. And now I'm kind of the butt of it. Like that's a relatable experience for me. And watching that happen to Kiki is like, ah, yeah, I think, most of us have been there because it's it's one of those like growing pains thing where we're all there but i it was so cute how tombo waited there in the rain for her for so long and then came to check up on her when she was sick after flying in the rain and check came to like tried to see her and even when she was like being a little brat (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, I, I like this movie because almost all of the adults in this movie are good people. Um, like she, she has these frequent customers that kind of live out in the woods. Um, and these are the people that like teach her how to bake and, um, th- they're very grandmotherly, you know, they, they, without saying so, make her kind of like an adopted granddaughter. Um, and what I like about those characters is watching Kiki's appreciation for these people versus her actual granddaughter and being like (laughs) watching this like snotty girl be like, I hate her cooking. And it's like, you don't deserve her then Uh, leave her for Kiki. Kiki, a lover. And like during the final sequence, like having those characters like, watch kiki on tv is like they're so cute about it and like when they find out that kiki's late for a party and they like do everything they can to rush to help her get ready and like oh man it's like though that's what i like so much about this movie is that every scene is about lifting kiki up Very rarely are we punching down on Kiki. Anytime that something bad happens to Kiki, it's more of like a bad twist of fate than it Mm -hmm. is pure maliciousness. It's very wholesome, fun, good times. Yeah. There's also a, I'm going to say, a weird narrative arc in this movie that um, happens too late in the movie for it to be like as relevant as it should be. But... There's a part where Kiki loses her mojo in like a Spider-Man 2 kind of way where she (laughs) can't fly and she can't understand Gigi because Gigi's a talking cat, but she understands him through witch magic. And 
She's only unable to fly for like 10 minutes of the movie. And I kind of thought that was like a weird narrative choice of like, I feel like that could have been more of the movie because Mm -hmm. it's pretty much just she doesn't. She forgets how to fly. She meets her painter friend again. She helps her do some soul searching. And then a stressful event happens and she's able to fly again. It really is just kind of like a one, two, three sequence and everything gets resolved again. It's a it, it's important for the narrative stress that the final scene has without that, you know, loss of mojo, then the final scene would not be nearly as intense as it is, but it, it feels like it was put in there just to make that final scene more stressful. Yeah. It feels very rushed. Like they were like, okay, we're going to have this happen, but then we got to get to the ending. And it's like, okay, but you could have had like four more scenes in there. (laughs) Yeah. And even like the wrap up happens a little too quickly for my taste. Now let's, let's break down this final scene because Tombo is obsessed with aviation. Like that's why he's drawn to Kiki because she can fly. And he's like, I got to get in on this. So he's on this Zeppelin that like crashes, loses control. Who's to say? Um, and so he's hanging off the Zeppelin by a rope. And they crash into this clock tower and he's holding on for dear life. And so Kiki has to like summon as much of her witch magic as possible and fly up and catch him. And listen, if you've watched a few Ghibli movies up to this point, also just in general, if you were watching this movie at no point, are you like Tombo's going to beef it? Um, but there's still <laughs> an element of stress. And this is kind of what I was talking about with those grandmother characters, like watching Kiki on TV, like try to save this boy. Like the tension that they bring to this scene helps me feel more tense about it as well. Um, and it's a very effective use of suspense, even though we know he's gonna, she's gonna catch him. It's not that big a deal. Like the bumpiness of her flying and like the the lack of confidence that she can do it helps make it more suspenseful yes it definitely there's so many layers of suspense to it that really keep you on the edge of your seat and i think that just you know it gives it more points it's just it's why this one is my favorite (laughs) yeah and do they resolve if she's able to understand Gigi again no okay i have a major problem with that me too (laughs) Because when she stops understanding Gigi, Gigi just kind of Gigi just kind of exits the story. And so when she gets her witch powers back, when she's able to fly again and she rescues Tombo, she rescues Tombo and the movie just ends. Like there's really no like wrap up with um Osono or the painter girl or the grandma characters or Gigi. She literally catches Tombo and credits start rolling. And that's the most frustrating part. Is it, I would have liked to see five more minutes of like her going back to a Sono and them having like a little bit of a dialogue, 
you know, Gigi saying something smart or witty and like then credits rolling. I literally needed like five minutes is all I wanted. Yeah, that's how I feel too. That's my other critique for this movie is that it feels unresolved in more ways than it feels resolved by the end of it. And you're like, okay, but what, like you just said, what about this? What about that? There's so many other storylines that we don't get the resolution that I would have liked to get out of it. She does end up writing a letter to her family. um, And she mentions Gigi in the letter, but it's almost like a mid credit scene. That letter is, and it kind of would have been nice to like, and, but again, Gigi doesn't say anything. We're just told, hey, I'm in a new city. Things are going well. Gigi and I are okay. I'll say this movie and the next one we're about to talk about have more of like a modern soundtrack instead of like the classic studio Ghibli strictly classical soundtracks, which with this one, there's like a good mixture of both. But I liked how, you know, coming off of Spirited Away and Castle in the Sky, it was a nice change of pace to have the opening sequence and the closing sequence kind of be more, you know, upbeat, kind of more pop songs. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, it, it is a very engaging way to start us out. So Kiki's Delivery Service, my personal favorite. I think I clock this at a nine out of 10. Ditto. Yeah. If the movie had a better resolution, it has a high chance of being a 10. But the fact that this movie just ends is such a bummer. Um, But the rest of the journey is so amazing. And Kiki is such a a cool character. And watching everybody interact with her is so uplifting and inspiring that, like, this movie deserves no less than a nine. I agree. Now it's time for Totoro Totoro. My neighbor Totoro is also one that I have not seen. So I was going in. I I know very little about this movie. I know that Totoro is a Tanuki spirit. And that's about as much as I knew going into it. Um, And this is another one of those movies. It's I did not realize how much like Kiki it would be in the sense of like the plot is super not important to like your enjoyment of the movie. There is 15 minutes at the end of the movie where like the plot is important. But other than that, Mm -hmm. it is just a device for vibes. Essentially. Um. And so to recap this movie, again, it's about a family who moves to a new area. Common theme, if you haven't caught on. Um, And it's a father and his two girls. The mother is still in the picture. She's just incredibly sick and in the hospital. And while they're moving into this new house, they find that um, there are spirits in the area And the younger sister discovers Totoro, this forest spirit, and they play a little bit. But the movie is more so, I guess it's about dealing with their mom in the hospital. But, like, this movie isn't about much. Yeah, not overtly. It's a lot of, like, passive plot influence throughout this one where it's, like, you see these two girls, two very young girls 
you know, trying to hold on to their innocence as there's all this new stress in their life and they're worried about their mom and their dad is, you know, overworked because he has to be the single parent for these two kids while also visiting the mom at the hospital and teaching at a university and doing his own research. And so you see the stress kind of weighing on him while he's also trying his best to be the best dad that he can be for these two girls and he is such a such a good father to them in all honesty he really so is so fun he does his best and yeah it's there's it's not super super deep i guess it's very much just like like i said seeing them kind of hold on to their innocence through this and this you know as all this is going on there's this forest spirit who's like you know what I'm a lookout for y'all. And a big theme of this movie is like, you know, like you said, childlike wonder. Because they bring up a few times, like, adults don't see spirits the way that kids do. Um, And so when May, who is the younger sister, she's four, when she discovers Totoro, she instantly tries to show uh, Satsuki, Satsuki and... um her father and Totoro's like, no, no longer visible. You cannot see. No, thank you. Um, but eventually, uh, Satsuki is able to see him and it's exploration of like childlike growth through these interaction with these spirits. Um, and you see the relationship between these two sisters, how that changes and how it's, strained by the same things that's straining their parents and um this is another movie that has a very strong it takes a village vibe to it um when they first move in uh their neighbors come over and visit and there's a woman that she's like call me granny because that's our relationship now and Mm -hmm. she is like the most understanding and caring and like she genuinely wants what's best for these girls and she's like this movie takes place over the course of like a week and and granny is like instantly this maternal figure for them in a way that i really thought was cool and i liked a lot yeah i think that's one of my favorite studio ghibli themes is the grandmother mother figure in all these children's lives and there's you know she's part of the neighboring family so there's the mom of that family as well who also helps out where she can with watching may when the dad has to go into town to teach and they have a son named Kanta and he's too shy to really talk to um, Satsuki and so we see him kind of you know silently helping out with just grunts and like grunting at her to take his umbrella so he can ride home and get soaked but the girls can stay dry. He also does the very 10 year old boy thing which is I don't know how to be friends with you so I'm just going to tease you instead. Yes. Um th- that that Love dynamic it. is very strong between Satsuki and and uh Kanta. Um I I I just I like the relationship dynamics in this movie a lot um, because watching there, because there's these little moments, right? Where you really see the relationship get boiled down in single moments. 
And the the thing that I think about a lot when it comes to Satsuki and May is um, Satsuki's at school. It's the only scene we see her at school. And May starts throwing a temper tantrum that, like, she wants to go see Satsuki. And so Granny brings her to the school, and she's like, she wouldn't stop crying unless I brought her to you. I'm sorry. I don't know what I did wrong. Like, I genuinely don't know what else to do. And, like, there's just the image of May, like, walking up to Satsuki, tears in her eyes, like, and, like, a very, like, stoic face about it. And then she just, like, grab Satsuki by the waist and then just like buries her face into her stomach. Like the way you do when you're trying to, I I don't know. It's hard to describe the image, but you know what I mean, right? You're just seeking, like you're trying to like soak up all the comfort you can from somebody. And so you're just like pushing yourself into, you know, the core of their stomach to get closer to their heart, I guess. It's that kind of hug that, like, a child gives you when they are just, like, so desperate to be wrapped up by you. Um, And watching that unfold is a really cool distillation of their relationship, but also just a heartwarming thing to see. And Satsuki is like, all right, fine. And, you know, they get to hang out at school for the rest of the day. And she's, like, a little upset about it. But she's like, it's my sister. I understand. Um, and I and I, I just liked that sequence a lot. Yeah, and it kind of shows just how much Satsuki has had to step up into, I guess, the somewhat mother figure role, even at her young age, since her mom is away at the hospital. And that's another really good dynamic is even though the mom is sick and we don't see her very much the few scenes that we get with her or between her and the girls like you can you really grasp the strong relationship that they have and you know she asks the girls at one point or she asked Sasuke at one point if she did May's hair and she's like yeah I did and then the mom is like well do you like your hair at the length that it is like are you sure you like it that short and she's like yeah i love it this short this is how i want it and the mom is like you go girl that's how i had my hair when i was young too and i just really <laughs> like that because go letting girls do what they want with their hair at any age yeah oh yeah absolutely um and the second half of this movie is um i like th- i like this movie a lot more than i kind of thought i was going to because the second half of this movie is about like dealing with this living grief that mm-hmm. is super hard to approach just like in general but i think this movie does it in such like a really cool fashion and the the linchpin of this event is um the hospital says that um they want to start bringing their mom home, but they need to do it slowly so she doesn't get overwhelmed and get sick again. And so they're like, they were super excited for mom to come home for a weekend. But at the very last minute, the hospital's like, she got a cold. She's sick again. We can't risk having her come home. And nobody takes that news well. And uh, May doesn't take it well. May tries to fight it. And Satsuki has to like... She snaps at May in a way that, like, you just know is pent-up grief that, like, she just didn't know how else to contain. And um, so May's upset now, and then Satsuki goes home, too, and 
uh, Granny has a conversation with her, and Satsuki has this like just absolutely devastating conversation where she's like, "This happened before." And it, they told us again it was just a cold, but then she got sick again. And what if she never gets well? What if what if it's cold after cold until she's too sick? And like, what if what if this is the cold where she, where we lose her? And having her break that down and just like watching her have that emotional breakdown and granny trying to comfort her through that was like, it was so sad and like. <laughs> It was genuinely difficult to watch. See, yesterday, I messaged Craig as I was watching this. And I was like, I can't believe I let you put this on here as one of our watches because this is going to make me cry. And he was like, if you cry, will you make sure to turn up the volume on your mic so I can get good audio of it? And now look who's crying, Gregory. I'm not crying. I'm just passionate, okay? Uh-huh, you got teared up. We all heard it. But yes, the first time the the first time I watched this film was when I was going through grief myself. So, uh I was a mess. I held it together a lot better this time around, but it is still a freaking heartbreaking movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um I will say, considering how attached people are to Totoro as a character, it is the logo of Studio Ghibli. It is the Studio Ghibli mascot. I've seen people get tattoos of Totoro. Like, the whole nine yards. People love Totoro. He has, like, five minutes of screen time. <laughs> that is not an exaggeration. Totoro is an incredibly little of this movie to the point where, like, the movie almost shouldn't be called My Neighbor Totoro. Um. Well, yeah. He's and there when they need him the most. Exactly. Yes. I, I, I'm speaking hyperbolically, um, but I was, that was the thing that caught me most off guard about this movie was I thought that Totoro was a major character. Also, Totoro has a much deeper voice than I was anticipating. Yes, this is true. It always catches people off guard. Like when you look at the Totoro design, it's effectively like a big teddy bear. Um, but he growls like a bear. And I'm just like, okay, this is not a cute voice. He's a manly man. Yeah, I guess. Um, but like you said, Totoro shows up when they need him the most. And we kind of get the first instance of this. Um, there's a part where their dad forgets his umbrella and it starts to rain. So they wait at the bus stop for him with an umbrella. So that way they can kind of like walk him home with an umbrella. Um, the dad misses his bus, his train, it takes a while to get back home. And so these kids are like chilling in the rain for like an hour at least. And Totoro shows up to kind of keep them company while they're not sure where their dad is. And that scene has like that childlike desperation of when you, of where you don't know where your dad is. Like mm -hmm. that is a very specific feeling that that scene captures very well where like, you're just kind of like, oh, dad missed his bus. Whatever. I totally understand. And then an hour goes by and you're like, well, dad's dead. Um, I guess, uh, I guess we just kind of have to wait here forever now. Um, and that scene encapsulates that very well. And Totoro's appearance in that scene is very nice because it's levity because yes. we feel 
the children's stress of their dad not being there. But when Totoro shows up, this is also where we meet the cat bus, which I don't need to explain because it is literally a bus that is a cat. It, and it's, I, I don't know how to break it down more than that. It's a little, it's a little horrifying too, but you know, it's whatever. And the appearance of Totoro in the cat bus kind of helps the kids calm down until the dad does show up. So that's why Totoro is important in this movie, because he shows up as like a tension breaker. Yeah, and he's, you know, just the grumpy guy next door who is there when you need him, but otherwise just wants to sleep. He just wants some peace and quiet. <laughs> Um, are, do we need to talk about the final sequence now? Uh, I guess. So the way this movie ends is maybe one of the most stressful scenes in cinema that you, that I've seen in a very long time. Um, when the kids find out that the mom isn't coming home for another weekend, um, May is like, fine, I'll go see her myself. And she has this like ear of corn that she wants to give as like a get well gift for her mom um but she doesn't tell anyone that she's going and she just starts walking to the hospital by herself and it's a three hour walk for adults and she just starts going now obviously she gets lost and is effectively a missing person and so when satsuki finds this out she tells granny and this is another one of those like community moments. Everyone starts looking for May. There's like two dozen people doing this like community search for May. And again, this is one of those moments where like you never truly believe that like May dies from this situation. You know, it's the kind of movie where you'd be surprised if they're like, and nope, she didn't make it. Mm-hmm. But, but there is this tension about it where like may could still be seriously hurt. You know that may is scared and alone and way in over her head. And like the desperation that Satsuki has in trying to find may is contagious and seeing her run through town, run across fields and like into new towns basically desperately trying to find her sister is a level of stress and tension that like i was not ready for and like was very effective to say the least yeah you're that stressed about this and then you know you have kanta coming up to satsuki and being like hey um you find her no, you didn't. Well, uh, they found a sandal in the lake and they need to know if it's maze or not. So then you have that layer of stress of, did she fall in this lake? Like, what is going on? What is this about to turn into? Even though you know, because it's Studio Ghibli, that it's going to have a happy ending. But like, you're just stressed. Yes. And we know that this scene is going to resolve by like Totoro being involved somehow. But the moments before and even after Totoro gets involved, like I think the shot that like really cements the desperation in these scenes is when there's a there's a shot where they look at Satsuki's feet and her feet are just like absolutely swollen and like 
almost bursting out of her shoes because she's been running for so long and her feet are just like so beat up from this um intense searching um and so like that was the shot that like kind of visually cemented how intense this search was going and um Mm -hmm. this is one of those like bittersweet moments because while it's stressful that everybody has to look for may there's this sweeping shot that they do during the sequence where you see everybody that's searching for may and how far out everybody is searching and like it really cements how much they care about this family again after like a week that they are ready to like search all night for this little girl and even though it happens in a moment of distress seeing that visual image is heartwarming in its own sense yes and this one you know it all wraps up very neatly very happily ever after and it turns you know overall it is also just a nice wholesome story but i think it you know the ways it portrays grief it does it very well for the age range that this is pointed towards, I guess I'd say. And so I can yeah. really respect that aspect of it. Yes. And so even though this movie doesn't have a super complicated plot, even though Totoro, the titular character, is in very little of it, um, it doesn't super matter because... Um, what this movie is trying to say, um, is super important and it gives its message. It sends its message across very well and it does it in a palatable way. Like you said, for the age range, right? Um, so you could have a five-year-old watch this movie and if the only thing they get away from it is big raccoon, you know, lovable animal, that's totally fine. But, you know, as you get older, you get more out of this movie. You appreciate the family dynamic. You appreciate the community. You appreciate, like, what it has to say about, like, grieving someone that's not dead. Is That is such a complicated concept that I think this movie kind of nails in 90 minutes. Yeah, it does it very well. What are you rating this one, Greg? Um, I, this is one of those movies that the more we talk about it, the fonder I am of it. While I'm Mm -hmm. watching it, like, you know, some parts get a little slow. Sometimes you're just watching little girls play out in a field and like, it's cute, but it doesn't like, you know, mean a bunch to me, but you know, talking about this movie and its greater themes, it really does have this like long lasting and resonating effect on me in a way that I super was not expecting. Um, So I think I want to give this movie like an eight and a half. That's exactly where I was for, you know, the same reasons as you with, you know, the sense of community it shows and the portrayal of grief. But then I also liked how they kind of integrated the or well, I guess spirited away took from this the little soot sprites which i liked that they were in both of those and then it was the fanning sisters who voiced may and satsuki and i love them so that was an added bonus and yeah uh, so yeah um if you did not know there is an animated short on disney plus of grogu playing with uh dust sprites or soot sprites that's animated by studio ghibli um yes 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 yeah, so um, 
I do find it kind of interesting that um, all the Ghibli movies are on HBO Max because all of these dubs were done by Disney. Yeah, um, it's kind of beca- surprising. And because they were all done by Disney, um, it has like they all have amazing casts. Um, like Kiki is voiced by Kirsten Dunst. Um, and Gigi is voiced by Phil Hartman, you know, back in Castle in the Sky. Um, you got Anna Packin in that and James Vanderbeek and Mark Hamill. Like, it's crazy, the, like, the stacked voice cast that um, are in these movies. I think Kirsten Dunst as Kiki is kind of the one that caught me off guard the most. Um, yeah. And all these... A lot of people say that Studio Ghibli is that Studio Ghibli is like the only studio where the dub is just as good as the um, original voice acting. Um, and I, I don't want to go that far. I feel like that's throwing a lot of anime under the bus, but it definitely is the easiest to transition into. Um, this voice, all these voice casts are fantastic. Um, and there are a lot of these movies. I know that a lot of people don't like anime because anime has like a writing style and sets of tropes that they don't really find palatable. And like, I understand to an extent, um, but Studio Ghibli movies are definitely like the way you get someone into anime. That's like you the writing style is definitely different the way they tell stories is like just on a foundational level not the same as western movies um but they're still incredibly fantastic and studio ghibli has like a little bit from every genre you know castle in the sky is a little bit more actiony um so is like from what i understand like princess mononoke is a little bit more like actiony i think so like there are genres for everybody in studio ghibli and so if you were cautious about anime stuff like this is where you get someone started yes i definitely makes sense that this was the western world's introduction to this style of filmography um and yeah it's like everything you said i agree with but that's all i have to say do you have anything else, Craig? Uh, yes, I have one final thing. And again, yeah. we are really good at being accidentally topical because um, Hayao Miyazaki, who was the writer and director of all of the movies we watched, announced his final film a few years ago, um, and mm-hmm. it's finally getting released this year. Um, now, Miyazaki is one of those people that's like, gone into and out of retirement several times but a lot of people are saying like this is the one Mm -hmm. this is like truly his retirement film um and so the final movie that he's doing is called how do you live which is um i think uh, from what i've read a movie about like moving on to your final chapters of life yeah um it releases in japan mid-july um heaven knows when it gets an american release um but when it does you know i'm gonna be sat right there tissues ready because oh boy is it gonna be a rough one boys um but i'm glad that we did this i'm glad that we i'm glad that i was able to rewatch some movies i knew i liked 
and get some new ones uh, into my repertoire. Yeah, um, it was it was a good one. Yeah, this was I cranked out these super quick because we're doing one big recording session. Um, and so I watched almost all of these back to back. And it was nice to just kind of like have a weekend where I'm like, it's all Ghibli. It's all, it's Ghibli. all Ghibli, baby. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm very happy about this. Um, yeah, let's talk about next month. I want to um, do it. Can I do it? Okay. Can I do it? Can yeah, I do it? Go. Yeah, yeah. I was okay. actually going to have you do it, but yeah. Okay. So that wraps it up for our May month of Studio Ghibli movies. And next month is June, which is also Pride Month. So we thought that it would be fit to raise the voices of our LGBT community and do movies that center around LGBT characters. So we are doing Portrait of a Girl on Fire, Brokeback Mountain, Moonlight, and The Danish Girl. I'm excited. I've seen literally none of these. I've seen two of them, and it's been years since I've seen them. So I'm excited to do this. It's kind of surprising that we haven't done like a genuine Pride Month yet. Um, so I'm glad that we're able to do this. I was going to say knock this <laughs> out, but that didn't sound right. Um, no. So I'm glad, that, I'm glad that we're finally uh, taking time to do this. Cause, yeah. You know, I think that these I've heard good things about most of these movies. So we're going to we're going to crack them open. We're going to we're going to crack them open. We're going to, you know, raise the voices of these characters and we'll see you next month. Yeah. I'm Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I'm tall. And we'll see you in June for our Pride Month. Have fun, be safe and make good choices. Mwah. Sorry, my B-reel went off. <laughs> <laughs>